0: Afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zibigowski, going to get to the outside.
1: He has blockers in front.
0: Brady Quinn looking, pump fakes, he rolls to the near side, throws it, it's caught by Samaja. inside the 20, inside the 10, he's going in, Notre Dame has
1: scores. Jones is the back, he's got it again, and Jones, a letter rule, Tony
0: Jones makes a cut, gets a block, and scores! Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish?
2: What's going on, and welcome to Sons of Saturday Irish, I'm Charlie Rojack, and Luke Smith is here alongside... We're also joined by our good friend Greg Flamung from the Single High Podcast and Irish Sports Daily to recap Saturday's Blue and Gold game. Greg, it's been far too long since we had you on. How have you been, man?
1: I'm doing splendid, boys. Um, you just reminded me before we started recording. This is like our one-year anniversary of uh, me coming on as a guest. So it's like an honor. <laughs> happy, to be, happy to be back. A recurring guest.
2: A lot has happened uh, in that <laughs> two-year sense. So... Like I mentioned, we're going to be talking about the Blue and Gold game on Saturday. And rather than making definitive season-long projections based on a spring game, uh, we're going to try to decipher what's real and what's fake, so to speak, about what we saw from the Northern football team on Saturday uh, by playing a game called Buy or Sell. Uh, this is a totally unique segment, never been done before on any <laughs> sports talk radio show or TV program in the past. Basically, I'm going to make a statement about the roster, and then we're each going to decide whether we buy the idea or we sell it. So, first up, we're going to start with the quarterbacks, as we do. Buy or sell, Steve Angeli will beat out Drew Pine to be the backup to Tyler Buckner. Obviously, this assumes that Tyler Buckner will be named the starter. He didn't play in the Blue and Gold game because of an ankle injury. Uh, But, Greg, we'll start with you.
1: Yeah, uh, I'll sell that, um, even though Drew Pine didn't put his best foot forward um, on Saturday uh, you know, I, I think we've all I, a lot of people have kind of prognosticated about, you know, what the the issues were with um, Drew Pine in the spring game. You know that he's switching sides; he's got to be the quarterback for both teams. Um, and and obviously, it was it was not the the easiest format for him personally. Um, the thing that I think kind of I don't I don't like is that it's it's his third season now and so you just kind of want a little bit higher level of play on just the little things um that you kind of expect right like you expect him to be able to run the offense like the defense is going through a lot of transition but the offense is not you would like to see a better grasp of the offense from him um and I don't want to you know sugarcoat the fact they didn't play well but I mean it is just a practice and it is just um it's, it's the spring game, right? He's played in, in in higher leverage situations, right? Like he played significant minutes against the two best defenses Notre Dame played against last year and he played pretty well. So uh, we know there's a higher level in there. Um, you know, Matt Freeman of Irish Sports Daily, he kind of commented on, on how uh, there was some separation between Tyler Buckner and Drew Pine. So maybe it wasn't a good spring for him overall, um, but whatever it is, plenty of time for him to kind of get his bearings under him, put together a better uh, fall camp and just kind of solidify himself as, you know, not just a backup, but someone who can come in and play good minutes for Notre Dame.
0: Yeah, I'll fall, I'll fall on the side of sell as well. Um, I, I think Drew Pine can be a, a serviceable backup college quarterback. And, you know, while Steve Angeli could ultimately have a more meaningful career at Notre Dame than Drew Pine, you just have to think that Like you said, Greg, being in his third season now, Pine has to be just a little bit too far along at this point for Angeli to really catch him as the backup. Um, The other thing I'll say is that Pine's gotten a lot of credit at different points for coming in and and sort of sparking the offense in relief against Wisconsin and Cincinnati last year. But there also seems to be this sense from the beat a little bit that there might be some trepidation about having him, if he was – forced to start a game, what that might look like, you know, once a team has some film on him, it it might not go so well. And and frankly, on Saturday, he went against a team who knows his tendencies better than anyone. Uh, and That's his own team. And and like you said, it's just a practice. But just a thought I had, I'm also going to sell that there. Um, And and, and a lot can change, as we know. I mean, let's not forget Deshaun Kaiser's 2016, or sorry, 2015 spring game. It looked like he might not play football again, and and then it worked (laughs) out okay for him. So who knows? But I'm also going to fall on the side of sell there.
2: Yeah, this is going to be a sell across the board. I'm I'm selling, too. Although Pine's performance definitely left a lot to be desired, I think that's putting it lightly. He's never going to be in a situation like this again where he's really playing the entire half. He's playing for both sides. He's playing with a mixed bag of, like, reserve offensive linemen and starters as well as receivers. So that's not necessarily the best circumstances for a guy. And, look, he definitely missed on some easy throws on Saturday that was – pretty disappointing because a guy like Pine, like you guys have mentioned, he's been here three years, Like you can't really just miss on the easy stuff as much as he did. So there's definitely some concern there, but I just put way more stock in what he did going against an actually really good defense last year in Wisconsin and what he was able to do then because I think that's a lot more in line with what he would be asked to do uh, this season, hopefully, um, and if it's a case where Buckner comes out with an injury or maybe Pine ha- does have to start a game, hopefully it's only one game or two. And, Greg, Luke and I have discussed this a little bit already. Like, why hasn't it already come out? Like, why hasn't Tyler Buckner just been named the starter? Like, why don't we get it over with? Uh, how do you feel about that? Why do you think that hasn't been the case yet? Or do you think, you know, this really is a competition still ongoing?
1: Um, it's probably just because there's no incumbent, I guess, like coaches, for whatever reason, if, if there's two people vying for a job and neither one has like starting experience, then they always just let it go to the fall. Um, part of that might just be because you you want both players to have something of an edge in the off season. Right. So even if, even if everyone kind of knows, like you want Tyler Buckner to prepare as if, I'm still within a competition with my teammate here, right? You just want him mentally sharp all the time. Um, same thing with Drew Pine, right? Um, it's different when you have like a situation where, like, let's say, let's say uh, Buckner had started like the last four games of last year, just for whatever reason. So, in that case, and it's like, okay, it was maybe in fill in for like an injured Jack Cone or something like that. Then you could see it's like okay if he, if he clearly outplayed Pine in the spring it's like okay we'll name him right and we'll move on from there but neither one of them has the any starting experience so um, you can let them go let them go into the summer keep their keep their uh, their competitive juices going keep keep the the edge there for both of them and that's how you kind of that's how most coaches will do it right and that's so that's pretty pretty standard um, I would imagine. Within like the first week or two of fall camp, we'll hear about it. We'll hear about who the starting quarterback is.
2: Yeah, and obviously it would have been nice to see Buckner on the field Saturday. (laughs) I got to say, we haven't had a podcast since the Buckner injury happened. And the way I look at it is, did Freeman really have to say how he got hurt? (laughs) The fact that Tyler Buckner got hurt apparently walking down the steps. I think some people are saying he was talking to a professor. Another reporter was saying that it happened in the football facility. At this point, I almost want to take the Brian Kelly route and just be super vague about all injuries and really just give the least amount of information possible. Because if I'm Buckner, I'm probably like, all right, what the hell, coach? Like, we could have easily just said, hey, non-contact injury, just rolled up, could have played, and then we just move on. But now we have guys at message awards saying, like, oh, this is why Notre Dame will never make it. Like, we have a quarterback who gets hurt falling down the stairs. I don't know. That's just how I interpret it. Luke, how do you feel about it?
0: Yeah, I guess I hadn't really thought about that, and and you're right. I think we're maybe accustomed to just uh, vague being being the ruler of all. So it was a little bit like, wait, what? <laughs> what did he really just say that sort of thing? Um, I, I didn't read too much into it, but you know, to your point, I'm not surprised that others did. But yeah, probably could probably could have left it a, a little vaguer. But I'm sure there'll be some instances of that with with Freeman this year. Just first time being a head coach, knowing. Uh, maybe when to extend yourself and, and when not.
2: I don't know. Maybe he, thought he maybe he did it thinking, hey, like, it'll soften the ball. Maybe like, oh, it was a non-football injury. People will be less harsh on him. I don't know. That's just, that's just how I took it. Yeah, I don't know. All right, we'll move on to the next buy or sell topic. Buy or sell, the combination of Chris Tyree and Jadarian Price will outgain Logan Diggs and Audric Estime, And we'll say combined rushing and receiving yards this season. Uh, Luke, we'll start with you.
0: I, I think I'm going to say I'll buy this. Uh, I frankly, I could see this going either way, uh, but but I expect Chris Tyree specifically to be a threat both in the, in the passing and run game this year, like what we saw in the Fiesta Bowl. And, and Jadarian Price seems like a real ball player. Like I don't think Notre Dame's going to have a choice not to play him. Um, but, but that said, I, I think the bigger story is that Notre Dame's running back room appears to be in a really good place this year. And it should be fun to watch regardless of, you know, if that duo outgains digs and Estime um, because I, I think that it sounds like they've all shown flashes this spring. I mean, I, Tyree was hurt a little bit, but I, I think we know what he's capable of when healthy. Um, but I, I think it's just in a really good you know, position regardless of um, who's actually going to end up if we look at it in that sort of tandem. Um, but I, I guess I'll say I'll, I'll buy that because I am expecting big years from both of those guys. Not to say that, you know, I don't expect some success from from Digs and Estimate as well.
1: So I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna fall pre- I'm gonna fall prey to the uh, the spring game overreaction theater. I'm gonna sell this, and I'm going to um, gosh darn it! I'm gonna do the thing that I know I shouldn't do, but I'm gonna do it because it's fun. I, I I I have a feeling about Estimate. So here's the thing. Chris Tyree, he's a little banged up himself, right? Like he, he's had some injuries. Um, he's been banged up for a while. kind He's been a banged up, right? Like he had the, he had the turf toe last year and then he had the ankle this, the, uh, this spring. So he missed a bunch of practices that way. Uh, Logan Diggs got banged up and, and, you know, I, I think Estime is, is he has that, uh, he says he's going to win the dope Walker and then he's going to win the Heisman <laughs> or whatever he said. And, and it's just, I think he's determined and, and, and Dylan McCullough has been very, very willing to praise him. And, and I think just watching him run, he just has that kind of forward lean kind of bowling ball type of um, type of running style. And, and I don't know that he's going to run for a thousand yards this year I could see the leading running back having like 700 yards. Um, you know, you know like a 700 yard back, 600 yard back, you know, 300 400 that sort of thing. So I think the combination of Estime and Diggs um, could very well be kind of the leading rushers. Like I I, I don't know that like Jadarian Price, right? Everyone's super excited about him and, and and I am excited about him too for real. But there's a difference between you are a guy who can come in and get you know four or five carries a game, right? Maybe throw you a ball or here here or two there, and being like you're someone that we are going to count on to win games, right? And and I don't like with upperclassmen or guys that are older than him ahead of him. I just don't know that like that's really needed. You can give him a, like some work, but the, I think the other. More important carries are going to go to the guys who are older than him, and so I think I think it's very well possible. Like I, I would I would sell that. I would say I think I, I would bet if I had to go to Vegas, I would bet on Diggs and Estime.
2: Okay, that's interesting because you you focused on Estime there, so I'm gonna buy this kind of because of what Luke said. Like I think Chris Tyree is the safest bet. Uh, because we know what he can do with the ball, both as a running back and also as a receiver. We saw that in the Fiesta Bowl, how effective he can be in the passing game. So I think he is the safe bet to lead uh, with combined rushing and receiving yards. But, Greg, you mentioned Estime there, and none of us have really talked about Diggs, which is kind of surprising given the last quarter of last season, how well he played and how featured he was in the offense that also had Kyron Williams, who's the best running back we've seen at Notre Dame in a really long time. And it seems like lately, um, Diggs didn't have a great game in the spring game. He ended up getting hurt. He banged up his shoulder and he didn't really have a great festival either. So Greg, going back to you, you think SME is going to have a big impact this season. He's going to take a big leap. Where do you think Diggs falls into this equation? Because I feel like he's not being talked about that much. When there was a point last year where I think people thought he, he would be the number one back going into the season and sort of surpassing Chris Tyree.
1: Right. So I think the thing with Diggs is, you know, Dylan McCullough was talking a lot about like we have a we have a we have a running play and I want you to hit the hole where the play's supposed to go. Right. And the thing that Diggs was doing a lot last year, and he probably needs to get out of his system, is he was doing the the Le'Veon Bell thing yeah. to the point of absurdity almost like you're like, come on, man. Like you, some sometimes it's fine. And sometimes it isn't. And it was like an every carry thing. Right. And, and I think that it got to be too much for him. And I think he still has that in him a little bit, right? Like he's getting the ball and he's kind of searching. Right. And I think he needs to stop searching. I think he needs to just hit it and go. And I think that the thing that estimate does is he, hits it and he, he goes right. Like he, it's not to say that he always pounds it up inside. Like he'll bounce it. Sometimes a lot of people don't like that. I personally don't have a big problem with it. If that's his running style, it's his running style or, but
0: hurdle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hurdle.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Attempted hurdle. But it, it, it's, I think that he's a lot more, um, he's a lot more decisive. And, and I think digs has to work through that. But at the same time, like I focused on estimate be, almost because I feel like Diggs. His role is more set than Diggs than Estime's is. So it's like to me, if there's like even like a little bit of injury to Tyree, then that makes Diggs and Estime like now they're getting a ton of carries. Right. So and and Tyree's been getting hurt. All right. We'll move on to the receiver
2: position. Buy or sell, Jaden Thomas will finish with more receptions than Dion Colsey. Luke, we'll start with you.
0: I'm selling this. Uh, I, I do expect Jaden Thomas to be a serviceable receiver this year, and, and I'll be honest, I, I'm the way I'm answering this one in particular is probably just like some maybe misguided optimism, um, but I'd like to believe that this receiver room is going to have, you know, for a pretty small room, some capable options. But I, I I don't know what I'm basing this off of, but I'd like to think that some of the Colsey talk, there, there's been some talk that maybe, you know, he's not, driven as or as driven where the coaches want him to be and, and maybe had a little bit of a disappointing spring up I'm, I'm hopeful that that's a little bit overblown um, he did only have four catches last year but we saw him on the field at important moments including in the fourth quarter against Cincinnati picked up a big first down against USC and, and I just feel like every year or every other year there seems to be a guy who we hear uh, they're not performing in spring and then it seems like they still end up fine in the season. Um, Isaiah Foskey comes to mind last year a little <laughs> bit, um, but I, I'm I'm not saying that Dion Colsey is going to be Isaiah Foskey on offense <laughs> by any means. But I'm just, <laughs> but I'm just hopeful um, that he he will have you know a pretty good season this coming fall. And, and I also do think that Jaden Thomas is going to be a serviceable receiver for us. But I'll I'll put Colsey at, at slightly uh, more production than than what Thomas puts out.
1: So it sounded like to me. That Luke was predicting. Um, let's see. So Foskey, what, what? he was he one behind the all the sack record <laughs> yeah. single season? Yeah. Is that what he was? So, so I guess what he's saying is like fifteen
0: touchdown reception for. <laughs> yeah. So year. like think Will think Full what Fuller what a, sophomore. Year. What a, that's yeah. what it sounds. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like I said, <laughs> there's some misguided optimism, but you know. <laughs> so
1: uh, well, I'm going to back up Luke a little bit, um, and I'm going to say uh, sell so on that. Because here's the thing, I when I went into this game, first of all, when when I heard Buckner was out, I was like, okay, I am shutting down expectations for, for receivers, like, re- receivers even and DBs. Frankly, yeah, because they're not going to get tested either, right? Um, so I, I that part of it was just kind of gone for me. It was like I want to see how they're moving around, right? And and I, specifically Colsey because I thought last year. He, he needed to get stronger. He needed to get more explosive, like as a division one football player. And so I was just focused on the way that he was moving around out there. And I thought he looked stronger. I thought he looked quicker. I thought he looked more explosive, right? Like a better athlete. And I think that was important for him is important step. And I do think that he's going to be more productive because they are kind of, they need him to be good because he is the one big guy. Right. Aside from Tobias Merriweather, who's coming in, but they need him to be um, an important kind of kind of aspect of the offense. Right. He's he's the big guy. They need him on the boundary. So um, I think I think they're going to they're going to they're going to get him going. And I think that they're going to put more on him. I did like what I saw from Jaden Thomas. Um, like Luke said, I I think he can be a a serviceable player. I think he can be, um, a guy who can help the team. I think Deion Colsey is going to have a bigger role. And I think that he's going to, he's going to get more targets and therefore he's going to have more receptions.
2: Okay. So I am going to counter both of you. I'm buying this and I know Deion Colsey got on the field for 65 plays last season compared to Thomas's 14, but Everything we've seen and heard over the past few months about Colsey leads me to believe that Thomas is actually rising over him on the depth chart, and I'm not going to just say because of what we saw on Saturday that Thomas is now ahead of him, but I think it's certainly trending that way. We saw Thomas, um, he had one carry for 22 yards, he had four catches for 39, whereas Colsey had two for eight. What really concerns me, honestly, is that in the Fiesta Bowl, um, Colsey just wasn't a factor at all. And I know different receivers coach, different game plan. But it is telling to me that Notre Dame threw the ball over 70 times and Colsey got on the field for three. And, again, I know Thomas didn't get on the field either, but it wasn't like he was part of the offense really all season. So this is more of Thomas trending upward more so in the last few months than Colsey, who it seems like has been trending downward recently. And I know, again, it is just a spring game. It is spring practice. And there really wasn't a ton of media access. So what we're hearing and the very little bit that we're seeing coming out of these spring practices, it's, it's, I feel like it might be a little bit wrong to make these big judgments. But I don't know. I, I think I'm just excited to see what Jaden Thomas can do. And until we see something from Deion Colsey, I'm going to see what Thomas can do. I'm going to buy that. All right, let's move on to the offensive line. We didn't get to see him, but buy or sell, Jarrett Patterson should move to guard to make room for Zeke Correll in the starting lineup. Greg, we'll start with you.
1: Uh, so, and I I, I think you got to keep Jarrett Patterson where he's been. Um, and that being said, like, if we don't have good guard play this year, it's kind of unacceptable to be frank with you. Like, because, okay. You have Josh Lug who's a six year, six year guy. Not just that. He's been with Matt Bayless since 2017. Okay. He's been with Matt Bayless for a really long time. Okay. You got Andrew Kristofic on the other side, started a bunch of games last year, who was a top 200 player. Right. And he had, he had a pretty good season. Right. And then you have a guy like Rocco Spindler, who is a top 50 player, top 50 prospect. Okay. If those three guys, if you can't get good guard play out of those three guys with those credentials, then they're doing a bad job, right? So, like to me, I, I thought like lug was fine. I thought Kristoffic was fine. Um, and I thought Rocco was fine. They all had their good moments, right? Um, I think that position needs to be a strength for Notre Dame. Um, so I don't think that moving Patterson to one of those spots, like if it like I don't think they need to do that at the center position. Like Jarrett Patterson came back to play center came back to be drafted as a center, right? Talk about helping out the team and all those things. Like he did the unselfish thing, didn't go to the draft. He's coming back, tore his pec, right? But he's a center. He needs to stay at center. You have pieces at guard. Like that needs to get figured out and they need to do a good job there.
0: Yeah, no, I'm with you 100% there. I mean, to be honest, you, you listed kind of the options that her name has at guard right now too. And I'm not even really sure which – position you would move Patterson to necessarily. Like you said, it kind of sounds like uh, Rocco Spindler might be challenging Kristoffic a little bit this offseason too, so there's already some competition there. I I get the idea of playing Zeke Corral at at center, but I I just don't see why you would move a potential All-American out of the position that to your point, he came back to school to to improve his draft stock and, and have one last chance at a playoff or national championship. So, yeah, I, I think I'm selling this one.
2: Yeah, I'm going to sell it as well, basically, for all the reasons you guys already mentioned. Jared Patterson is too good of a center to risk moving elsewhere. And I also really like the idea of having a fifth-year guy right in the middle, sort of leading the way right in the heart of the offensive line. Now, as it pertains to the spring game, Greg, Kristovic got beat a few times at guard, and he you know, came in in the second half of last season and was a pretty consistent force on the left side, uh, stabilized the position a little bit. But Spindler might be competing. I think the, the ceiling on Spindler might be a little bit higher, but it seems like his progress has been a little bit slower than some might have hoped for. Maybe that's more of a fan sentiment rather than a coaching sentiment. But based on what you saw uh, on Saturday, I know it's still way too early to make – like big sweeping generalizations about the offensive line, but you know, under a new head coach, Harry stand, who has the pedigree, it was a little bit weird to evaluate them because it was a mixed bag. Like it wasn't just the starting unit all playing together; it was starters and reserves. Right. What right. did you take from the play of the offensive line as a whole?
1: Um, you know, frankly, I, I didn't. There, there were moments where they were kind of, frankly, dominated, uh, but that's okay. Like to me, because you have a new coach right and we know that Harry Houston is big technical guy right so if you're working on technique and those sort of things in the spring then then yeah you're you're going to have tough moments because it's got to be a muscle memory thing you you probably need more time to work on that stuff and you're not as focused on just like beating somebody you're talking, you're you're worried about your foot placement your hand placement and you know you the way you're set up and those sort of things right um and and Notre Dame's defensive line. Like they've got some dudes, you know, like Howard cross is, is, is a beast. Right. Uh, Riley mills played like a monster. Um, You know, so they got really good, really good production out of basically everybody. Um, Obviously you're dealing with guys like uh, Isaiah Foskey, right. You have, you have blitzing linebackers. You have, you have, you're dealing with Maris Leofield now. So um, there's a lot of Alex Aarons in three tech. Right. And he's, and he had a really good game. So, Notre Dame's can come at you with waves on the defensive front. And, you know, if you got a little bit of uncertainty, you're playing next to people you haven't necessarily played next to, um, and you won't be playing next to right. Um, like Caleb Johnson, for example, you know, he's playing tackle. So, you know, it, it's, it's just similar to pine. Like it's not the greatest situation for lots of offensive line. I didn't think they were awful. Right. Like, I didn't think they were like a sieve or anything like that. So, you know, if they're going to be up and down, no problem. Right. Like I don't, I, I just like um, again with pine or, or like uh, the receivers or anything like that. Like, I'm not going to declare any sort of like panic. I don't, I don't like how this is going, that sort of thing. But if they were to do something like, like we kind of proposed before, like, Oh, we, you know, we want to put Patterson over at guard to kind of solidify that position. We're like, well, wait a minute. Like now to me, that would be like, we don't need to be doing that stuff. So, um, you know, but to to answer the question and put a bow on it, like I'm, I'm fine with what happened. I didn't think they were awful. And, you know, just, they just got to keep getting better um going into the fall.
2: Yeah. Without a doubt. And this group needs to be a strength for Notre Dame to have success this season. It's really unfortunate that they can't have the continuity that they need uh, throughout the summer with Patterson being out. But it does seem like his recovery from that torn pack is on track, so he should be hopefully ready uh, by the start of fall camp. Greg, you mentioned the defensive line being a really stout unit, and this might be the the boldest of the buy or sell takes here. So buy or sell, this defensive line unit, will be Notre Dame's best since 2012, which obviously – Featured a lot of star power: Stephon Tuitt, Lewis Nix, and um, flanked by Capron Lewis Moore. That unit was a big reason why Notre Dame was able to go undefeated that year during the regular season. Um, but this this group could be loaded this year. So, Luke, are you buying or selling?
0: So, so let's also think a little bit here about who else could be in this conversation. Like of past the past couple of years since 2012, who else? You know, when has Notre Dame had a really strong t- defensive line? I think. 2018 and 2019 probably come to mind. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think kind of where else that falls into, but but those obviously you know 2018 with Jerry Tillery, Julian Aquara, um, you had Khalid Kareem, Dalen Hayes, you know re- really strong group. I think I'm going to buy this, and this is some optimism here. Uh, but there's a reason these guys came back. These guys being the Ottomololas and, and Isaiah Foskey. Um, you know, Greg just mentioned how how well. Howard Cross and Riley Mills played on Saturday, and, and everything we've heard coming out of spring camp just has been really good. Um, I think Jacob Lacey is another guy the staff's high on. I, I really like where they're at, and there's just so much depth along this defensive line that hey, why not? It might not be you know Stephon Toit and, and Lewis Nix right now, and, and Captain Lewis Moore, but it sounds like they had a pretty good group there. And uh, hey, I mean, I, I I'm all for unbridled optimism at, uh, at this point in the year. So uh, let's say, why not? Let's, let's buy this. All right. I'll, I'll, you know what? I'll buy it too. And here's why. I think if
1: you took the, the, just the front, um, just the starters, right? Like I think that 2012 group, um, they'll obviously get you, but what was behind those guys? Right. Um, you know, you got a Coney Schwenke, um, You've got, the big
2: dude with the long red hair
0: springman springman Tony Spring- but he
2: yeah. got, i
1: think i think he got hurt right like he, he I, got, I don't know he, he I think, yeah he,
0: i think he, he got hurt after the michigan state game i want right say. so yeah. so yeah. like eshock years.
1: like eshock williams yeah. um yeah. he was on the line and and so it just wasn't a lot of depth there um and i think that that's the thing with this unit is you you've got guys like howard cross and and um alex aaronsberger and Nano off of Mensa. And, you know, you got Jacob Lacey, you have um, Justin Adamalola. I mean, Justin Adamalola is a really good player. Like He's he's serious, right? And so you've got like Cross and Lacey behind um a guy like Jason Adamalola who who could have like a a Sheldon Day type season, right? Um, we might have like <laughs> – Isaiah Foskey could set records at, at, at defensive end. I mean, we're talking about like – I think we think of like Stefan Tuitt and um those guys is like the the prototypical like defensive end and that sort of thing like julian aquara that sort of thing well none of those guys were first round picks right they were talking about second round third round guys isaiah foskey could be like a legitimate first round defensive end um you know talking about setting notre dame records for sacks right so um i i think the on the ceiling end of foskey because like you know, Foskey didn't get a lot of credit for what happened in the game. He had, if you go back and watch, he had so many plays where he just gets in the backfield and just stops. And then because he's not near the quarterback or he's not at the quarterback, he doesn't, he doesn't get credit for a sack or anything. They let the play run out. He, he would have had three, four sacks, no problem right in the game. And he was not out there very often. Right. So he, he looked really, he looked really good. Um, so I, I think you have the the upside, the star power with Foskey, and then you have the depth behind him. I think I think that's I think it's very possible, and I'm I'm gonna I can't remember if it was by buying that it's better, but I um, buying it's I think yeah. I, yeah I think I will buy it. Like I I think that this defensive line um, could be like you know the best of the I guess I don't know. I, so he's just the Kelly era, Kelly era. No yeah. So, so I guess it's best since, I, I guess since the, the new era of like good teams, right? So 2010,
2: I kind of want to sell just, just to be the heel here. Um, but I'm not going to do that. I'm buying it. Um, I think this group is fantastic. And I think a big reason for that is the known commodities, like in Isaiah Foskey and Jason Adamiola. Like if you look back to 2012, like Stefan Too it was obviously amazing that season, but we didn't know just how good he was going to be. He he played all 13 games his freshman year, but he only had half a sack. He had four and a half tackles for loss. Going into the season, like we know what Notre Dame has in Isaiah Fosky, and that's, like you said, Greg, a potential first round pick. We know just how good Jason Adamiola is on the interior. And then you add in the fact that guys like Howard Cross and Riley Mills is potentially the big end, and the impact that those guys could have. I mean, Mills was in the backfield so much in the spring game, and we've sort of been hearing what Mills is capable of since, I think, last fall camp. Is that fair to say? I feel like his name has been brought up. And then we really saw it in game action against Virginia. So that front unit is really, really impressive, and I think already has a leg up on that 2012 unit, at least up to this point in their careers. And then we talk about the depth, the guys behind him. Justin Adamiola would probably start – on like ninety percent of the group of five teams, but he's not in the same. But on, not on this team, but he's still going to be getting a ton of reps. And then Jacob Lacy. Like, there's just so many guys that can just keep throwing more bodies at you. That I think this group is going to be the strength of the team. And I guess Luke, what what do you think are fair expectations for this group? Like, we, we're saying it's the best, but let's let's fantasize a little bit. Like, how good could this group be in your mind?
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a good question, because you also brought the point up about profile and how, you know, Foskey comes into this year um, with a lot of stats next to his name. And and you're right, in a lot of ways in 2012, I mean, Stephon Tuitt, the year before, had been overshadowed by Aaron Lynch before he transferred away. So uh, you're right. There wasn't quite that same level of maybe profile coming into the year. Um, ultimately, there was. But uh, I mean, when we talk about what do we expect, then, from this group, I think another important piece of it is is that I think that Notre Dame's also in, you know, maybe not quite the uh, the Manti-Teao, uh, Dan Fox group that was backing them up at linebacker in 2012, but I think Notre Dame's in a very strong... Strong position from from a linebacker perspective too. That will also be bringing pressure with these guys. Whether it's Maris LeFau or, or, or who have you. So you know, from a statistical output, I don't know if I have a great figure for that. But like, I just think they're going to be constantly causing havoc in in, in opponents' backfields this year. I, I don't know that I have a great figure for it, but I just I expect to watch this group, and they're going to make it very hard for for teams to move the ball against.
2: Greg, what do you think? Do you think this group could compete with some of the best defensive lines in the country? That's typically reserved for the SEC.
1: Yeah, and I think Luke just made a really good, really good point that the the linebackers are they, they're kind of fit into this because they're going to use Marist so much as a blitzer, and they're going to use Prince Collie so much. And we saw, um, you know, junior uh, junior Trulio Alamaka, right? Like he was shooting gaps and that sort of thing, and really timing up blitzes really well. And I think that that it, it kind of blends into the defensive line because they're using them on the line basically. Right. So um as far as front seven goes, I, I think it's just going to be very difficult. And, and, and just to, you know, kind of piggyback onto the defensive line and how deep they are, like this linebacking core, I mean, good gracious, like they could be really, really special from a depth standpoint, right? Like, like, I, I think this might be a question that we're going to get to in a second. But, I mean, if, if our starting linebackers were Prince Kali, Junior Tully and Jordan Batelho, like, I would expect a, a good amount of mistakes from that group. But, man, I'd expect a ton of plays as well. And those are currently projected as the backups. So, I, I just think there's so much explosiveness, depth, playmaking – in the front seven that it, it's just going to be, it could be really special just a, as a kind of some of the parts kind of thing.
2: Okay. So let's, let's stay there on the linebackers. Um, the next buyer sell topic, either Prince Collie, Jalen Sneed, or junior Tui will will be the starter at a linebacker position by November. Let's say barring injury. Like they, they earn their way on the field strictly by performance. And right now, none of them are, projected to be starters i think that that group is going to be like at the mic we're going to see jd bertrand and bo bauer and then jack kaiser and uh marissa Leofield. like right now those are the the main four we could expect to see sort of rotating at those three spots but you know any number of these young guys could push their way up so greg do you think that either of those three that i
1: just mentioned will be a starter uh, by november so yes is a buy right so i'll say i'm gonna buy it And I'm going to say it's Tully Halamaka. Wow. He true freshman. He just knows how to play Mike. He just knows how to play it. And JD Bertrand, you know, I I think that he is, he is a, um, he's a good linebacker as far as like, uh, like Mike will whatever. And I, I kind of feel the same way about Bo Bauer, right? Like those guys that you, you put them in a spot and they can play the position. I think Junior Tule Halamaka is kind of born to be a Mike. He, he, he's instinctive. He, he knows when the time blitz, he knows where to shoot gaps. He knows, he knows how to time it up. He he's, he's kind of natural in coverage. He knows what he's doing. And um, I was listening to Jamie uh, Uyama on power hour today. And he said that he reminded him a little bit of Tavon Coney and just in terms of his ability to diagnose plays and get into the backfield and shoot gaps and that sort of thing. And, and I think that that's a good comparison. And I think that um, Tully Hallamaka is probably a little bit better in coverage than Tavon Coney was. Uh, Coney was a little bit stiff, didn't have a good feel for it, but I think junior has, is a lot better in that area. And of those, of the three, I think that he is the one who who could just ascend to that spot over time because he has the size, too. That's the other thing. He's, he, he looks good. He's ready to go size-wise, and then it's just a matter of, you know, learning the defense. So um, if he's starting next to Jack Kaiser, I think Jack Kaiser could absolutely call the defense um, from his spot or Marist, so it wouldn't have to be on him. Um, I just think he looks like a million bucks, so. Huh. Okay.
0: Yeah, no, I I think that those are all uh, good points. And, and frankly, I think I'm going to sell this just because of how I feel from about Notre Dame, from a a depth perspective at linebacker. Mm -hmm. But I do expect we'll see uh, Kali and Tui Halamaka quite a bit. And and I think an interesting point maybe that you raised there is, I feel like last year, what we saw with JD Bertrand and Bo Bauer, uh, JD Bertrand earlier in the year, uh, is that You know, he he looked strong earlier in the year, and then as as the snaps piled up, he he maybe fell off a little bit, missed some tackles, and I felt like Bo Bauer actually might have played his best football last year, kind of coming in and in different, just little short stints at times. It felt like that was really where he was playing his best football, and so I I almost wonder if it if it maybe benefits Notre Dame more to have Tully Halamaka kind of in a, in a three-man rotation with those guys and just ins- assuring that they're getting the best out of each of those guys at, at different points. And obviously, game situations are going to dictate that usage. But it'll be interesting to, to monitor that uh, this fall because I felt like at different times last year, we, we really saw the best out of those two guys when, when they weren't being overextended. And if you can add another guy to the rotation who's who's more than capable than, than I imagine, that, 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 that can only be a good thing moving forward.
2: Uh, so I'm going to sell this as well. And I think part of this might be I'm still a little bit uh, in the mindset of the Kelly era where (laughs) seeing a really young linebacker start was just not possible. Um, Immediately, like, Niles Morgan comes to mind when everyone was calling for him to start over Joe Schmidt. And then once Joe Schmidt got injured, we kind of saw why he wasn't starting. The defense, Brian Van Gorder's defense, I should say, was a little bit too complex. And I don't think Niles had a, a good enough grasp to start It's a little bit interesting now because Notre Dame does have a new defensive coordinator, Al Golden, one who does have an NFL background. So I'm a little bit curious to see what the complexity of this defense will look like, and will it be too much or too advanced for a true freshman like Tui Alamaka – to insert himself. I guess that's why I'm surprised, Greg, that you mentioned him because he's a true freshman and he would be jumping J.D. Bertrand, who's a senior, and Bo Bauer, who's a fifth-year senior. That just seems to be like a a giant leap. So I guess a a counter question to that would be, what do you expect from Al Golden's defense? And I don't want to use the spring game as like, oh, this is what we're going to be seeing because it's a spring game. Like It's meant to be vanilla. Notre Dame's offense was super vanilla as well. So I guess based on what you've heard, about his his scheme referring to Golden like where do you see a a place for these young guys like Kali like Snead and like Tui Alamaka to really just like excel in this new scheme and then become a starter
1: well i think i, I mean i think i project it for Tui Alamaka just because of the instincts of the position you know some guys just know how to play it um i think Kali is more um i think Kali needs to to see it from uh, Marist first. And I think when Kali sees it from Marist, then it's like, okay, this is like, because I think Marist plays the type of way that Kali needs to be playing. Um, and, and first of all, I thought Kali looked great in the game. I thought he looked physically, I thought he looked a lot better. He was a lot quicker. He, he just looked more explosive to me. Um, and he made a couple of plays as well. I think that, but he needs that that little bit of edge that Marist has. And once he sees it from Maris, um, he can do it himself. Maybe even in a better way, because I think he might be a little bit more explosive athlete. Whereas I think Tuli Alamaka just knows. He just he doesn't have to see it from anyone. He just knows. And and I think that what what Al Golden does. Um, and, and Marcus Freeman to even some extent is they are, they are shooting that Mike linebacker into the a gap all the time. Just, just get in there and muck up plays. And I think that we saw it from junior in, um, in high school as well. He's just a very good blitzer. He knows how to time it up. He knows how to get himself skinny. He knows how to shoot through the line and, and to wedge his way in there. He did it a couple times in the game on Saturday um messed up a couple plays one where he made the tackle and one where um someone had to cut it back and then another uh, linebacker made the tackle and it's that type of thing where it's like you have a player who fits a scheme to where he he's very good at the thing that they want him to do and that's why i feel like he's the one who can kind of make that role for himself because that marcus That's his guy, right? Like, as soon as Marcus Freeman was hired, like, suddenly Junior Tuli like, was on Notre Dame's radar. We never heard his name. And then he gets hired, and suddenly he decommits from USC, and, like, Notre Dame's the favorite, right? So I just think Marcus Freeman, he's a linebacker coach. He he recruited him. He loves him. He loves the fit in the defense. And so that's where I kind of think, um, you know, that's where that kind of – connection will work out for him
2: one linebacker I didn't mention in this topic but I do want to touch on him because he had a really solid game on Saturday uh Jordan Botello he had five tackles he had a pick we haven't mentioned him yet so far due in part to the fact that I don't think anyone's totally sure about what is his position um we know he's really athletic we know he's a violent football player but the term hasn't found a home but has been used pretty often Um, with him. But we've seen some flashes where it can be really good. Uh, The Wisconsin game comes to mind. And Luke, I know he's been kind of a favorite of ours ever since we heard that he got kicked out of a basketball game in high school for starting a fight. And there was actually some concern that he might even get into Notre Dame. So uh, not going to lie, I kind of love that personality on the roster. (laughs) So uh, Luke, what are your expectations for Patella? Because we, we know he's got the talent, but we just don't know where he's going yet.
0: Well, first off, it was a high school volleyball game, not basketball game, which makes it even better. Yes. Hell yeah. Let's get riled up for some volleyball.
1: (laughs) Um,
0: But as far as expectations go, you know, I don't know if there's a huge takeaway in terms of position from his strong performance on Saturday, but I I think at a minimum – it's got to provide him and the staff with some confidence that he's coming along the right way. Um, now, I, I, like I said, I don't know if that necessarily means, you know, they know what exactly they're going to do with him next year, but I, I, I have to believe that they like how he's progressing now. And, you know, it, it, it can take some time to get acclimated once you get to Notre Dame. And, and we, as we know, he've, he's had some interesting things happen to him <laughs> while he's been there. Um, but I think I like where he's at right now. And, and, like it, it, I don't want to call it an embarrassment of riches, but it, it just it, it feels like Notre Dame is very fortunate um, along the defense, especially in the front seven. Just the amount of quality playmakers that they have on that roster. It'll be really interesting to see how Al Golden uses them all, because I just don't know, you know, how many snaps are there for when you have this many good players. So it'll be really interesting to see how that's managed this fall. But I think Patella's is a guy that. Um, has positioned himself to to be in the conversation you know this fall now who knows what position that's at but I, but I like where he's at greg how
1: do you feel about Patello? i i really liked how he played in the game um i really liked how he played in last spring game and that didn't that didn't lead to much so um i want i would if once he gets to the fall i think if he gets through fall camp then i think he's going to have a locked in role um i i think I think he'll have the role um, he'll take over for what Isaiah Pryor did last year um, where he'll kind of split with Kaiser. And um, if anything happens to Kaiser, then, you know, then I think it's Patel's job. And, and it's just a matter of like, can he keep away from the mistakes? You know, I think that's always been his problem. And I think that when he was, when they put him in the game against Wisconsin, he made some plays, right. They put him in the four, four and he made some plays and, and he showed his value there. And then he had a couple busts. Um, And I think that the play where they Wisconsin hit the one long play with the, with the tight end down kind of the middle of the field and Kaiser's chasing after him. Um, I think the speculation was that was Patelho's guy and Kaiser was kind of covering for him. So, um, you know, that sort of thing, right. Like that kills the defense and you just can't have that. So if he can eliminate those things, we know the, the 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 playmaking is there. We know the the volatility, for lack of a better way to put it. Like, that's there. Um, we saw him coming around the corner um, looking really good as an athlete. Uh, I think a tackle for no gain on one of the backs. And obviously, he had the interception. He looked quick on that. So, skill set is there. Mindset is there. The temperament is there. Just got to clean up the mistakes. But um, I think at the very least, he's got a – Kind of a part-time role with Kaiser at the Rover. So,
2: yeah, and there's been concerns about Botello's coverage ability. And hey, he and he had an interception on Saturday. Although I think uh, honestly, the three of us could have made that play. It was the ball was thrown <laughs> right to him, but it's a stat nonetheless. But we'll keep it on interceptions. The next topic here: buy or sell Brandon Joseph, the new safety transfer from Northwestern. Uh, Brandon Joseph will finish with five or more interceptions this season the reason I picked the number five is because that is one more than the season high for Kyle Hamilton uh during his career at Notre Dame so Greg
1: we'll start with you how dare you even <laughs> think that you know what it, it's <laughs> everyone's kind of comparing him to Kyle Hamilton I obviously, didn't I wanted
2: of... to like find a way just <laughs> us. Yeah. yeah this seemed to be the most logical the most logical scenario
1: yeah um you know what like I I so I, I think of him when I watch him play and I haven't seen him a ton, but I just watched him in the spring game. Like he, he moved around. I thought kind of like a low he did. Um, and I think of him like that in 2018, I think a low, he had four picks. So I think this will be one more than a low he had. And um, I'm going to buy this actually. Um, should he play all, all the games, right? 12 to 13. Um, and I think it's safe to say that Kyle Hamilton would have had more than five had he played all 13. So, um, but I, I, I do think so. I, I think he's, he's shown, uh, you know, at Northwestern, he showed, he had a nose for the ball. Um, he was around the ball a couple of times. He had a couple really good tackle for losses um, in the game. One against uh, Audric Estime where he, you know, kind of knifed in and took out his legs, which is a really good play. Um, a lot of people say like, don't go low, but, you know, how many times have we seen, like, uh, some guy shoot in like that and get stiff-armed right in the face by, like, Kyron Williams? And it's like, that's why you go low, because you can't – they can't get to your – they can't get to your head like that. So, really good play by him. And, uh, yeah, he, he's, he's been a ball hawk his entire career. Um, and I expect that to continue, especially with, you know, we're talking about how good the defensive line is going to be. Um, if they're creating pressure, then they're throwing balls, you know, before – or maybe in situations where they don't want to, and Brandon Joseph's the kind of guy who's around the ball and pick them off.
0: Okay, now I, I like the optimism there. I am, I'm gonna sell this. I think five is just maybe one or two too many. But Greg, you mentioned Alohi Gilman as a comparison point there, and I like that. Another thing Alohi did was I think he I looked at this earlier. He had five forced fumbles mm. in his 2 years stint with the Irish. So I'm gonna say this. That Brandon Joseph causes more than five turnovers this year, but they're not all interceptions. I'll go with that.
1: Okay, I like this. pretty good. That's a pretty good hedge. Yeah, pretty good hedge. Yeah. Yeah. Nice yeah. loophole. <laughs> <50,000.
2: Yeah. laughs> um, I think I'm going to buy this. I think, barring injury, Joseph is going to have a- an incredible season. He's obviously not as talented as Kyle Hamilton, but I think what he'll be asked to do, his role will be somewhat similar to Kyle. I mean, he's not going to be asked to do like, the things that Kyle was asked to do in 2020, where he's basically like, hey, Kyle, cover the entire just back. We're just You have to cover all this. You can line up on the slot on uh, the right hash and then cover, like, the left third. I don't think he's going to have to do that. I think Joseph is going to be in great positions a lot. And, Greg, like you mentioned, I think the, the defensive line is going to be a huge factor here because if they're getting after the quarterback, especially in some of these games that our team has got this year against some pretty weak opponents, like – there's going to be prime opportunities for Brandon Joseph in particular to make these plays. I think five interceptions would be the most of any uh, of most in a season of any Notre Dame defensive back since Tom Zebakowski in 2005, unless Julian Love had more. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I do think it's possible. And I think that, like you mentioned, Greg, like Kyle Hamilton could have easily had five last year had he not gotten hurt. And you know, Saturday was the first time we saw Brandon Joseph in the blue and gold. He comes in. Um, uh, Like, he was really good at Northwestern. We all saw that pick against Ohio State. He's an extremely talented player. And the fact of the matter is, he hasn't played around guys on his unit that are as good as the guys on this Notre Dame defense. I think the Notre Dame defense had a phenomenal game Saturday, and they're going to be really good this season. So I just think he's going to be in great position um, all season
1: long. So we'll see. Quick, fa- quick fact check. Um, Harrison Smith had 7 in 2010. Uh, right. There yep. you go. Safety. Another safety.
2: Yeah. But Notre Dame doesn't put out good safeties in the NFL, so I I forgot about Harrison Smith. He hasn't really done much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) All
1: right. (laughs) Understandable.
2: (laughs) Okay, this last buy or sell might be my favorite one, and I can't believe we're here. Buy or sell, (sighs) the current kickers on the Notre Dame roster will make Notre Dame fans miss the Jonathan Doerr experience. Uh, If you watched on Saturday, you know it was not a good showing from the two Notre Dame kickers. Transfer Blake Groupie went one of two. Josh Bryan went 0 for two. And all of a sudden, <laughs> did we miss Jonathan Door? Luke, we'll start with you. Uh,
0: I can't believe I'm going to say that. But, but yeah, I, I think, like, the thing with Door is you knew what was going to happen. He was going to shank just... Kind of chip shots, but if it was a big time field goal, he was going to knock it home. Uh, Like uh, there were, I really just never had any doubt about what was going to happen whenever John Dor lined up for a kick. That that didn't mean it was always a good thing, but I knew what was going to happen. And watching what I saw on Saturday, there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding those guys. Uh, I I also like I was kind of curious why it seemed like Notre Dame was so active in the transfer portal this year at, at, at the specialist level, both kickers and punters. Uh, maybe we know why now, because Brian Mason, the new special teams coordinator, just hasn't really found anyone yet that he can fully trust to, to put the ball through the uprights or, or keep the ball in bounds on kickoffs <laughs> either. Um, we've heard Marcus Freeman say multiple times that the kicking game needs to be better, uh, even outside of the context of Saturday. So yeah, it, it could be. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know how confident I feel about any of those guys lining up for uh, a field goal at at the horseshoe. But but anyways, yeah, we might we might miss Jonathan Dor after all.
1: Okay, so I Notre Dame fans like we should miss Jonathan Dor regardless. Okay. Yeah. Like okay, let's just like against the USC in 2019, he hit three field goals of 47 yards or further. Then against Clemson in 2020, the, maybe the biggest win since 1993. Florida State, they he he kicked five field goals. Okay, he made five. Hit two game winners last year. Okay, so he has he has won us games like and you know won us games against like USC and uh, and Clemson just by making the field goals right. And that's like, okay, not literally win us the games. And he's also literally won us games where it's like overtime kick against Florida state. Like that's a walk-off essentially hits a walk-off against Virginia tech last year. And we can all recollect just some of the ugliest misses in maybe in the history of the program. Okay. Like, like, like just, just some ugly, just awful, awful misses. But beautiful misses and ugly misses count all the same. And he never cost us a game. You can never say lost because of Jonathan Doerr. I would
0: say say
2: he didn't necessarily cost us, but that missed field goal against Oklahoma State really hurt Notre Dame.
0: Oh, that's not – that's not the one I thought you were going with. I thought you were going with the chip shot in the ACC championship. Yeah. No, no, no. That's the first as frustrating quarter. It is as that yeah. was,
2: and we, we knew <laughs> yeah. it was going to happen. Yeah, we did know. it was going to I would say happen. The, the one against Oklahoma State was in the second half, and it could have stopped the bleeding a little bit. If I remember, I'm, I'm I'm drawing a blank here, but that was the only time where it felt like it was second half, late in the game, where he missed it, um, and it was a brutal miss. Just always like, I guess credit <laughs> to door, like when he missed. He missed. Like was, <laughs> He left no doubt. Oh,
0: God bless him. Oh, man.
2: He's not going to get drafted, obviously. He's a kicker. Do you think he gets get signed? Uh, no.
0: I, I don't know. I, who knows? Yeah. I mean, Tyler Newsome was getting bounced around as a punter for a while, and I never thought he was that good, so who knows? Um, I don't know.
2: So I looked up Groupie's uh, his career field goal percentage at Arkansas State it was 74.4% conversion rate compared to Jonathan Door's 754
0: Yeah, well, a so, little different kicking in the Sun Belt versus... Uh, yeah,
2: in the case of Brian, like he, I feel like he was pretty highly recruited, as, I guess as, a, as high that a kicker could be recruited. Um, and Greg, you're the fellow L.A. native. Didn't he go to Sierra Canyon? He did. Uh, Bronny's High School?
1: Yeah, I think he did. How's their football uh, program? I I don't know. You know, I I don't know that. And uh, here's the thing. We say it's different kicking in the Sun Belt. And maybe that's true. I'm not a kicker. I've never, I don't know what that's like. But why should it be different? The ball is the same and the uprights are the same. Why should it be different? (laughs) Then kick it through the uprights. Well, kick it through the uprights.
2: What do you think? the most fans he's kicked in front of his in his college career
0: groupie. Cause I feel I, I would have to imagine Arkansas state had like an sec non-conference game, right? I was going to say maybe, maybe the spring too. game. Yeah. The spring maybe. Game. <laughs> that probably was it.
2: The, what was it? 34,000.
0: Yeah. Right around. That there. might've
2: been it, honestly. And we're I gonna could look it him. up. Another thing too, like the pictures uh, of groupie are just straight comedy. Like, he's, yeah, yeah, he might be the smallest Notre Dame football player we've had in decades. Well, since, okay, I was since gonna since say Reggie say, Ho, Re- Reggie Ho, Reggie yeah, Ho. Yeah, yeah, decades. So, yeah. not ever, but he's like he's listed as 5'8, 150, which means he's probably <laughs> touching like 5'7, 135. And I'm just picturing like, you know, maybe late in the first half, Notre Dame's kind of hanging on with Ohio State, and we trot Blake Groupie out to kick like some 42 yarder. My confidence level, uh, if it's not zero, it's going to be close. And at least with door, like it was higher than that.
1: Okay. So last year, uh, he played in front of 58,772 at Washington when they lost 52 to <laughs> three. three. Let's go. Oh, three.
2: Leading score. <laughs> all right. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, all of a sudden. I'm ready for him to go out, go out there in Columbus, uh and, and kick some extra points in, and some field goals. But I don't know. I mean, it wasn't a great showing. I feel like I don't know about you guys, but whenever we have a new kicker, like I the first kick, it always seems like representative maybe I'm just overthinking it, but the first time we see them is always to me at least an indicator of like, all right, what is this gonna be like with you? Like when we trot him out, and if he's if he buries it, you're like, oh, okay. Uh, I'm trying to think of some kickers in the past. Like I think
0: Justin Yoon. I think like probably I think he hit his first kick, yeah. and he was pretty consistent in his entire career.
2: Yeah, Yoon was was pretty nails. I would say he. I think his conversion rate was pretty high. I'm gonna get get research on this right now, but I don't really have any bad memories of Justin Yoon, so that's probably a good thing. Whereas Dor, like he certainly <laughs> I have some good out. ones. Yeah. So but... Justin Yoon, 80.8% field goal. Uh, percentage during his career at Notre Dame—that's pretty damn good.
1: The big, the biggest kick Yoon ever missed was the uh, against Vanderbilt. They were up twenty-two to seventeen. Oh. It was like a thirty-yarder, and it almost cost them the game.
2: Yeah, <laughs> Vanderbilt. All right. Well, as we wrap this up here, um, we'll sort of close the book on uh, Notre Dame spring session, and I'm going to ask each of each of you, what's at the top of your summer wish list? It could be anything. Um, And only one person can say a new receiver through the portal because I I think that's understood. So just looking at the program, it could be a transfer portal thing. It could be one player like we start to hear uh, really hit a stride this summer. Um, Really, you pick anything. Greg, since you're our guest, we'll start with you uh, as we wrap this up.
1: Um, Does Dante Moore count? Yeah. Can I say that? All right. I want Dante Moore then. Five-star recruit quarterback.
0: Yeah, I, I think that one's hard to argue with. Uh, more selfishly, I, I'm rooting for this Ohio State game to somehow get moved to uh, Sunday so I can go, because now I have a wedding that day, so that's going to be a little bit difficult. Oh, no. But, who Who is uh, that? Who is it? Uh, my cousin is getting married in South Bend, actually, believe it or not. So uh, I'll be in South Bend while Notre Dame's in Columbus, which will be very interesting.
2: Does your cousin listen to the show?
0: Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. That's a good question.
2: Okay. Well, that's just irresponsible. I'm uh,
0: sorry. <laughs> Labor Day. Labor yeah. Day.
2: Sunday's sitting there right for you because you get that Monday off. <laughs>
0: that's just. I know. I know.
2: Be considerate. Well, um, Is there any oh, well. hope that gets changed?
0: No, it's not happening. Oh, like I said, God. somehow it's not, but whatever. But on a more serious note, I'm also on the Dante Moore train. Um, that, that would be a very nice nice gift this summer. Or before this summer, preferably actually.
1: And I know we weren't
0: supposed to say it, but
1: we really do need a wide receiver in the portal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just in terms of numbers.
0: Well, I was saying one person
2: could say it, so I'll I'll, I'll take the layup there. Um, I honestly, I'd say we we need two wide receivers. I, I, um, I think uh, Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated reported today or said on uh, their podcast that Joe Wilkins probably won't be back until like the season starts I don't, Yeah, know. Greg, have you heard similar?
1: I have, um, I haven't heard similar, but just knowing the injury, if it's a Liz Frank, like it's just a problem. Like you don't want it.
2: Yeah. I mean, this is pretty comparable. I, I partially tore my Liz Frank in the, uh, inner hall championship, <laughs> the, uh, two nothing barn burner. That was Dylan Hall's victory over, uh, Shit, who did we beat? Uh, Jack Walsh beat, is gonna be pissed. At me. You, beat, oh, it was you beat, Duncan. Duncan, Duncan yeah. Hall. Yeah. yeah, in my last football game ever, I told one of our friends right before the game, I was like, you know, I've never actually had like any serious injury. Like I've had a, like a couple concussions and like a broken finger, but nothing ever serious. So then I partially tore my list, Frank, <laughs> and that sucks, man. I mean, I wasn't doing anything close to playing football, but we we went to like three different orthopedic surgeons and each one had a different opinion on what they should do with my foot. Some said surgery, some didn't, ended up not getting surgery. And uh, I didn't play any college football games after that. So I guess we'll see <laughs> with Joe Wilkins. But Greg, uh, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a blast. Uh, we'll do it again soon. Um, and for all of you listening, thank you so much. Uh, please give us a follow on social media at Sons of Sat Irish. Rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Uh, and we'll, we'll be back soon. So until then, take care.